Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. We've been talking on harvest. This year's the year of harvest. And I want to read the scripture that we've been staying on. I've read it every single week and I'm going to read it for the rest of the year because I want it deep in your heart. But Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38, and it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Notice it says every. Every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. So what he saw were harassed or troubled and defeated people, the sheep. They were, without it. they were sheep or like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, pray fervently, pray. If we would just start there, everything would change in our personal life. Everything would change within the corporate life of our church. Everything would, cha- everything would change regionally when it comes to where God has placed us if we would just pray. Pray. Earnestly. It's like love your spouse fervently, earnestly. Love your children earnestly. Love what you do earnestly. The same, we do that, the same way we do that in the natural, how much more should we do it when it comes to God and our relationship unto him? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. He's the one that causes the harvest. To send out laborers. Who are the laborers? Me, you, us. Notice he says, though, that the laborers are few. Meaning few people choose to labor for him. Few choose to do it. And I've always wondered why. There's been times in my life where I felt like I was going 100% and other people were giving it 10%. Have you ever been there before? There was times in my life where I wasn't giving it my all and I saw people giving it 100%. You ever been there before? And I always find it interesting in both patterns of my own personal life. that I still thought it wasn't enough. Even now, where I'm at personally, I'm probably in the most intimate place I've ever been with God, and I still feel like I need to do more. But I remember not too long ago, six years ago, five years ago, where I was barely spending any time with God, and I thought how defeated I was, just how can I do what I do? I feel I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough. And maybe you're on one other side of those coins. You're 100% in, or maybe you're barely in, you're barely making it. Today, I want to minister a word to you that I believe that God has just for you. It's just for you. Because whether you're fully 100% in today, or you're only 10% in, I believe that if you allow the word of God to plant deep in your heart, that it can produce a harvest within your life. That it can not only change your personal life, but it will change your family. It will change this church. It will change this region. It will change this world. But it's going to first start with you receiving the seed. Receiving the seed. 
The motive of our labor, as we said last week, is love. Is love. Jesus used this word compassion talking about a deep inward moving within the very deepest part of his intestines, inward parts. It was a love so deep that he felt for the people. So the very motive of our labor is love. Love. And one of the greatest forms of love that we see Jesus show us is serving. Servanthood. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Servanthood. And I'm going to read in a couple of passages of scripture. And today, the title of my message is The Motive of Labor is Serving. Serving. Sorry, love in serving. The motive of labor is the love in serving. John chapter 13, verse 1, and I'm going to read a few scriptures to give you context of what Jesus is doing in this moment. This is 24 hours before Jesus is taken away from his 12 best friends. Well, we'll say 11. I mean, Judas, we know, betrayed him, but he still loved him. The people that followed him, the people that learned from him for three and a half years, they were with him. Some people would call this moment in the Bible Maude Thursday. Maybe you've heard of that. It's become a tradition in some churches. But tradition is good, but if it's just about tradition, then we lose sight of what Jesus was doing in this moment. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, notice he knows that it's, it's time. Even after this, Jesus, we know, goes to the garden, knowing his time's here. It's time for him to give his life, to leave, to do what his father purposed him to do. Jesus in the garden even prayed, nevertheless, not my will. But God, if this cup can pass, allow it to. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Is that your prayer today? Nevertheless, not my will, God, but your will be done. Your will. He said, my hour has come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until, unto the end. Notice this. It's really important that he loved them unto the end. God's love never changes. It doesn't change. Just because you're in sin, out of sin, living a particular way, not living a particular way, his love stays the same. Because we even see that within this time frame, his own right-hand man, Peter, denies him three times. He was even warned by Jesus saying, no, you're going to deny me. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you're crazy. All of his disciples go off and leave as soon as he's gone and taken away from them. But his love was still for them until the very end. You're never too far from God. You may feel that way, and that's what the enemy wants to make you feel like. But today I'm here to tell you, he still loves you. He loves you. Verse 2, and supper being ended, the, de the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. 
Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Verse 4, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. This is speaking of Jesus. Verse 5, after he had poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then he cometh to Simon Peter. Now hold on. We've got to understand that Jesus doing this is showing a picture of what he has actually done in his sacrifice. He's showing them that I must wash your feet because this is what's going to happen when he dies on the cross for every single person that believes in him, that chooses him. The Bible says this in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that it's the blood of Jesus that washes us clean. And this is a picture of what is to come to the disciples. Now let's continue to read. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, doest thou wash my feet? You got to think that this is the master, the teacher. He had an understanding from God and God alone that this is the Messiah. And now you want to wash my feet that are dirty? You want to bring yourself down that low? No, you can't wash my feet. No. What are you doing? I'll wash your feet. Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, thou knowest not now. Look at that. You don't understand what I'm doing right now. You don't understand. And that's how we are sometimes. We don't understand why God does the things he does. We read a scripture. We read a word from the Bible. Like, what does that even mean? Why do it that way? And see, what happens is we begin to see God through the very lens of our own personal life. You see it in today. You see it in government. You see it in life. You see it in all aspects of society. They see God's word a particular way, and that's why you have different ideologies, different methods of belief, different systems of belief that literally distort the very truth that God has given. And if we're not careful, we get caught up in it. He said, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. You will know. And Peter said unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. I like how Peter's just trying to control the narrative. You feel like that sometimes? Jesus is like, God's words like this, hey, this is how you do it. And you're like, I don't, I don't receive it that way. No. Die to self. Well, I'll die to a part of myself, not everything. If you love me so much, you'd allow me to do this still. Again, we go to reason. And I always find it interesting, Peter's always trying to be the one in charge. We're talking about the man that walked on water. We're talking about the man that was up in the mountain with Jesus. And he experienced God's glory. We're talking about the man that was fishing and Jesus filled his nets Something completely humanly impossible. 
And he saw God's supernatural provision, God's miracle signs and wonders through his son, Jesus. And still, 24 hours before Jesus is given away and about to be put up and be judged, he's arguing. And Jesus answered him and said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. If you don't let me wash you, then you have no part in me. Meaning... What we know today, because we have the full letter of the word of God, we know exactly what he's saying. If you do not allow my sacrifice to be sufficient, allow my sacrifice to be what I did it or what I made it to be, why I went to the cross and sacrificed for or what I sacrificed for, if you can't receive that, well, then you can't come into relationship with God. You can't come into this place with my father. See, it is through Jesus' body and through his blood that you have access to God today. And only by him. The Bible says in Romans 10, to call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And it is through the confession of your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the only way to the Father. And verse 9 says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, then, not my feet only, but also wash my hands and my head. Now he's like, oh, wow. So if that's the case, go ahead and just wash me, bathe me. Again, he's still trying to control the narrative. Now he's thinking, oh, so it's not just about, you know, washing my feet. Wash everything. If that's the case, I want to be clean. I want everything. Because I'm better than these people. You did, you did their feet. Wash everything on my body. Head, everything. My hands, and Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not to say or not save to wash his feet. Let me read that again. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all, speaking of Judas, for we knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Now verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, it was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? He's asking a question. And he said, You call me Master and Lord. And you say, Well, for so am I, or for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you or yea also ought to wash one another's feet. He's giving a picture, he's showing something. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Again, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. We would look at that, and I guarantee you, being in that time with them, we would have thought Jesus was crazy. Like, don't touch my feet. No, you, you, I've seen everything you do. You're, you're too holy. You're, you're Lord. You're master. And Jesus began to do the job of the lowliest servant in the household. He began to wash the disciples' feet. See, in this critical moment, Jesus, before he's about to be tortured on the cross, did not think of himself. He thought about his disciples. Truly, this was loving them to the very end. Amen? See, even after the disciples treated him badly, and were even going to treat him even worse, like Peter, forsaking him completely, 
He still loved them. The motive of why we do what we do as a church, as a member of the body, is similar to this picture of how Jesus served his disciples. It is love. That's why I serve God. That's why I serve the body of Christ. That's why I serve my spouse. And how best to serve my spouse, my husband, my wife, and your context, of course. How best to serve that spouse than by serving. How best to serve my children than by serving them through serving God first. If I would just serve God first, everything else would follow. Everything. See, Jesus completely gave himself to washing their feet. He was thorough in every part of the work. And just like laborers, we have to be thorough in everything that we do unto the Lord. We cannot be people that do things halfway. I don't know any boss that is that enjoys an employee that works halfway. I don't. Usually what happens is that person doesn't last very long, or they put up with them long enough, frustrated, to where that person just ends up leaving because of just it becomes a toxic place to work in. And if naturally we feel this and we experience this, what about spiritually when it comes to our work and labor unto the Lord? If I go halfway, I won't experience everything in God. If I go halfway, I won't see the full kingdom of God's or God's kingdom fully manifested. Now I'm talking about personally. Now, God still will manifest himself. God still is establishing his kingdom through his people because there are people that will do it. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 9, oh, yes, there's laborers, but they're few. That's why we have to pray for more. This is why you have to make a choice in your heart. Are you going to be someone that's fully serving God or just doing it halfway? See, first thing happened. He rose from supper. Then Jesus laid aside his garments, which he had to remind, or which had to remind him of what had waited just in a few hours, because he was about to be stripped completely. You got to think of the process of Jesus doing this. This was purpose. It wasn't just doing something nonchalantly and saying, "Hey, I get to wash your feet today because I love you." Like how so often we do, like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give a little bit." And when it comes time to giving, I've, oh yeah, okay, God, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, here's a tip. Love you. Yeah, I guess I'll give the church a couple hours, yeah. As long as I get something in return. No, Jesus gave himself to this work right here. He gave himself to his disciples coming in the form of a servant. Didn't care what they thought. Because he had to show them who he was and what leadership looked like, what godliness looked like, ultimately what the greatest looked like. Because if you go to Luke chapter 22, in verse 24, it says that a dispute rose among them. And this is around the same time. And it says as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. This is verse 24 of chapter 22 of Luke. 
And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you be come as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For one, or for who is the greater, one who reclines at a table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at a table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, in the natural way, in the system of this world, it would look like the greatest it would be like the prime minister of the president. But let me help you something. If somebody, let me give you a job, someone that takes out the trash, the garbage truck, if he didn't come for about a month, I guarantee you everybody would notice it. If the prime minister took off for a month, you wouldn't know. But if a garbage man did, oh, you would know. That trash would begin piling up. Something so simple. But his work does a whole lot for the community. Think about what simple thing that you can do right now for God and how it would affect profoundly the area you live in. Maybe it is just being faithful to the house of God. Maybe it is just being faithful to prayer. Instead of saying, I got to do all this full 100%, start doing it in steps. Start taking one step, doing it each one in faith. Because what happens is we think, well, yeah, I hear a message like this and it confronts me. I feel guilty. I feel shameful. It's hard word. It's hard to chew. And so I, I have to do everything. I have to do everything right. You tell me I have to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Because if you don't, you're going to continue to live your life in a circle doing the same thing and nothing ever growing, nothing ever developing, nothing ever changing in your life. And ultimately what happens, you just get hardness in your heart and get callous to the things of God and you end up walking away. Maybe it is just being faithful in prayer with your spouse, with your children. Start there. Maybe it's instead of listening to the talk show radio on the way to work, put some preaching on. Talk to God. Start simple. And see where that takes you. Because I guarantee you the more you pursue him, the less of the things of this world, the less of you and the more of him, it will override everything in your life. And you'll, by the time you look back six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, five years, ten years from now, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, I'm a completely different person. The things I struggled with back then, I don't struggle with anymore. The things that I thought I wanted back then, I don't want at all. Come on, how many can testify of that even now in your own life? He gave everything to this work. He laid aside his garments. He stripped himself of his garments, even as he was going to be crucified. Jesus took a towel and he girded himself, it said. And finally, Jesus poured water into a basin. See, if Jesus wanted to just display the image of a servant, he would have had a servant or one of the disciples do all the preparation work. If he just wanted to show like, what a servant looks like, yeah, I'll just get one of these guys to show you. But, and he would have quickly wiped the damp cloth on a few dirty feet and considered the job done, which so many times we do. <laughs> but to give it an image of servanthood and loving leadership he had to give himself completely to this work. Why do I labor? Because I know what will happen. People will get healed. People will grow. People will be changed. But it starts with love. I serve God because I love him. 
We serve God because I can't do it without him. See, this was an extreme act of servanthood in what Jesus did. According to the Jewish laws and traditions regarding the relationship between a teacher and his disciples, a teacher had no right to demand or expect that his disciples would wash his feet. It was absolutely unthinkable that the master would wash his disciples' feet. But here's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in flesh, washing the feet of the ones he loves. The Bible says in Philippians, verse 1, verse, sorry, chapter 1, verse 7, but Jesus made himself of no reputation. It took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Let me read verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men. The Amplified Version says this, verse 7, but he emptied himself, meaning without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of what is a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. He became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God, but also being fully man. This is our Lord and Savior. See, it says that he wiped them with a towel which he was girded. As Jesus went around the table washing and drying the feet of his disciples, it would have been a dramatic scene. I just now told you, this is not in tradition. And as they're debating about who's the greatest, as we see in Luke chapter 22, Jesus begins to show them what true greatness is. It was customary that the lowliest servant of the house would wash the feet of the guests as they would come into the house, especially for a formal meal like this. For some reason, though, this did not happen when Jesus and his disciples came into the room. They ate their meal with dirty feet, which is interesting. See, God's purposeful in everything he does. Everything. See, this would have been more awkward than we might think. First, because of the sandals they wore and the roads that they walked on. Their feet were being, would have been very dirty. Second, the disciples ate a formal meal like this at a table known as the triclinium. This was a low coffee, t- coffee table high, very low table. And it was a U-shaped table. And the guests sat there. And their status of the meal was reflected by how close they were to the host or to the leader of the meal. Because the table was low, they didn't sit on chairs, but they leaned on pillows with their feet behind them. The unwashed feet were easily seen and perhaps even smelled. I'm giving you a picture. None of the disciples were interested in washing each other's feet. Any of them would have gladly washed Jesus' feet, though. But they could not wash, or sorry, but they could not wash his without having to be available to wash the other's feet. And that would have been an intolerable admission of inferiority among them. For they were all competitors trying to get to the top of who were the greatest. So nobody's feet got washed. 
Trying to understand where I'm at now? This is why Jesus did what he did. There's no one greater in the kingdom of God. I'm not greater than you because I have a microphone. A lot of times we put a lot of emphasis on people, on personalities, on names, organizations. And I understand. But the reality is everything that we do is unto God. And he's the one that gets fame and glory in everything that we do. I love, I serve so he can get the glory. I love you, you love me, so he can get the glory. I love my wife, she loves me, so God can get the glory in my marriage. I love my children so that God can get the glory in the raising up of his kids, of his son and daughter. I love my friends so that God can be glorified in my relationships. But I love them according to the word of God. I love them to who God is in me and who God is, which is God is love. Let me show you just one quick parallel with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. See, Jesus acted out a parable for the disciples. He knew that actions speak louder than words, just like we know that I can say I serve God, but my actions show if what I speak is true. Actions speak louder than words is how we say it. So when he wanted to teach the proud, arguing disciples about true humility... He didn't just say it. He showed it. He showed it in a way that illustrated his whole work on behalf of his own. Jesus rose from supper, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus rose from his throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus laid aside his garments, taking off his covering. Jesus laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. Jesus took his towel and girded himself, being ready to work. Jesus took the form of a servant and came ready to work for his people. Jesus poured water into a basin ready to clean. Jesus poured out his blood to cleanse us from the guilty and the penalty of sin. Jesus sat down after washing their feet. And Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father after cleansing us with his sacrifice. This is the picture that he was showing his disciples. Now, they didn't know it yet, but we did Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.